Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you fancy joining in on the fun, why not pop over to the website, onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic episodes with thought leaders and practitioners, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app and make sure you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we find out what it's like as an African company making solutions for Africans, why African solutions have to be up to 100 times better than the established ones, some of the environmental factors you may have to take into account when you're building them, and some of the mistakes venture capitalists are making again and again, and some of the opportunities that exist for them on the continent. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Abisoy Falabi. Abisoy described himself as an IT and program executive with a heart for business and also a passionate educator, mentor, and community builder, and a man after my own heart, having started out as a .NET developer before moving into product management. I thought Abisoy was one of my biggest Twitter fans until I realized his Twitter account was run by bots and just retweets anything about product management. I'm trying not to take it too personally and keeping an eye out tonight for any automated voice responses at any point during this interview. Hi, Abisoy. How are you tonight? Oh, thank you very much for that. <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, I've got my eye on you. And if the picture freezes, then I know that you've turned on the autoresponder. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do that tonight. So you, you definitely have yeah, me speak directly tonight. <laughs> cool. So let's get into it. First things first, you are Senior Product Manager at Trade Depot in Lagos in Nigeria. Yes. So for the record, who are Trade Depot and what problem does that company solve? Okay, yeah. So Trade Depot, it's a company based in Nigeria. We have operations in South Africa and also Ghana. So we're into distribution. So we deliver goods to retailers and also store owners, supermarkets and the likes. And we also provide financing. That is, we, we offer them loans to be able to buy goods and all. And we also have partners that we work with instead of the retailers and shop owners buying from us they can buy from any of our partners and also get financing from us so instead of going around looking for loans from the banks or thereabouts they can actually get loans directly from us and use it to buy goods from any of our partners or buy goods from us delivery from from anyone buying goods from trade depot from any of our partners or any of our customers delivery is free and we promise to deliver within 24 hours once the order has been confirmed so that sounds pretty wide ranging. Like there's a lot of aspects to what the company does. Do you work on just a part of that or are you working across various different product lines there? Yeah. So I work across various product lines. Last count I checked, I'm working on six products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so six products, including the main out of the business, that is the central application that actually controls every single moving part or interacts with every single moving part of the business. Oh, no pressure. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's also one of my products. And also, don't forget that I also mentioned that we have operations in Nigeria. We also have operations in Ghana, and we also have operations in South Africa. So, in a nutshell, let me just say that's a summary of the products within my portfolio. But that's interesting, and you just touched on it a couple of times. Obviously, you have those offices in Nigeria where you're based, but also Ghana, so quite nearby, and then South Africa, quite far away. Have you got like any plans to do all of the other countries around, or is it very much focusing on a few key areas that have maybe got the highest potential? 
Yeah, so the, the plan of companies actually go pan-African. So we have plans of going across, going into other African countries at the moment. So we, we're just experimenting, or should I say, we are learning a lot and also doing a lot at the same time. So by the time we move into other markets, we'll be moving extremely fast. So that's why we strategically looked into Ghana markets and also South African markets. I, I don't want I don't want to spit the the the, the juice or, or or the stuffs out of the box yet, but <laughs> just watch out for trade depot this year. We will come into an African country near you. There you go. Well, they're all quite far away from me, but I'll keep an eye out anyway. <laughs> but it's interesting though because I was talking to a Nigerian product leader recently who was saying, and to be fair, she works in fintech rather than. E- than commerce, but she was saying that one of the challenges of scaling around Africa was the different regulatory landscapes in the different markets and the differences obviously in infrastructure and the differences in maybe approach to business in the different markets. Is that something that you've seen around and about? Or is that something that in your domain is is a little bit easier because it's not got maybe that regulatory oversight? Yeah, so just give more insight into what we do. So we see ourselves as a commerce company, commerce fintech company, right? So because we are issuing out loans, yeah. um, there are regulations around loans. We're giving out money. There's a need to actually know the customer, KYC and all of that, or a bit of a banking regulation comes into play. So we see ourselves as a distribution and fintech company going hand in hand. So yeah, so based on just the question you asked, definitely yes. Even in the commerce space, right, depending on the market or depending on the state, that is, I'm really talking about a fiscal market, a place where people come to buy and sell, they have different dynamics in each of those locations. There are markets whereby you can't actually make anything happen until you speak to some market associations and the likes to understand how they, they go about their things. And also don't forget that some of our, most of our customers or we have customers from all places. We have customers in the market. We have customers that have shops in front of their houses. We have customers who, who supermarkets and the like. So when we're moving from one market to another, we're always experiencing these various dynamics. It's quite interesting because Nigeria, as a whole, we have we have 36 states and also the federal capital, which we are already operating in the federal capital and the like. So. Every market has its own dynamics. Every market, every state has something you need to like learn. You need to have foot soldiers on ground who understand the market, who understand how things happen over there. So it's it's quite an interesting journey so far. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds pretty complicated. <laughs> I'm sure you're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. You have an awesome army of team over here at Trade Depot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, though, because before your current role, you worked in a few roles around product and technology and actually in some cases spanning both as well so not just product but actually director of product and technology or head of technology so you've obviously come also from a really technical background you used to be a developer you're still active in the developer community yes but was it a very purposeful transition for you to move from tech into product and tech and and then product or was that something as with many product managers that kind of happened by mistake yeah so mine wasn't by mistake I started out as a software developer, writing software for the enterprise. I wrote a bit of software, that, like uh, a few software that I wrote is still running within the enterprise. I can't really specify, give names, but <laughs> the, the top tier banks in Africa that actually emanate from Nigeria, I have 
nothing less than two or three core critical softwares running within those environments, within the enterprise environment over there. Also within the telecom space, did a number of things relating to procurement, helping them to automate that process. Even within the banks for loan application, um, managing loans and all of that for, for one of the top tier banks out of Nigeria is also is still running. Uh, and a bunch of things regarding regulation, compliance, enterprise architecture and, and things of that nature still done for the banks and legs. But for me, right, moving from being a main software developer to a product was, was a journey, which was intentional. I had interactions or interfaces with a bunch of developers, with a bunch of people on different projects while doing enterprise. And I noticed that there's always a disconnect between um, what is requested by the customer from what the business or what the consulting tier of a business wants to build to what the main executioners, the developers and the engineers um, actually build. So I was like, okay, I understand technology because I was coming from a technology experience and also I understand business. Uh, I understood a bit of business a bit then. I was like, okay, so let me move from just writing software to just focusing on managing people and understanding what needs to be built. So which led me into transitioning. I actually got promoted or I got an offer to become a CTO for a, for a startup that was funded, um, that got into the 500 Startup Accelerator. And also where I doubled as a uh, um, chief technology officer and also a product manager over there. And I think from then I was like, okay, I, I'm beginning to enjoy this thing called product management. Let me just fully move into doing product management and just hang my boots from writing software. So I think the last time I wrote a piece of software or a, or a production-based software would be 2016 or 2017. But any other thing aside from that has just been more of maybe cloud functions or just writing a bit of bots that works, uh, that actually runs in the cloud. But do you miss the development side? I mean, I've come from a development background as well. And obviously, from time to time, you're sitting there thinking, oh, it'd be really cool to be building stuff again. Do, do you ever feel like that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do, right? I actually do. So I really miss it because while I was still writing software, I really wrote software, not just for myself, contributed a bit to a number of use cases or test cases for Microsoft relating to drivers, SQL driver to, what was it called, SQL driver to SQLite driver, and a bunch of other things which I made contributions to running PHP on Windows Server <laughs> and all of that, um, doing a bit of test and all, giving um, Microsoft team feedback and things of that. So I really miss all this um, staying up all night, staying up for an entire week, <laughs> doing all crazy stuff, going into the logs. Uh, I, I miss all of that. Oh, well, one day, one day you'll make a triumphant return. Yeah, maybe that's why I've been doing more of um, cloud. Yeah, so I, I think um, doing more of cloud has really, uh, really not made me miss it so much. But yeah, so I, I, still, do, I still do a lot of cloud in my free time. But you've been leading tech and product, as I've said, and obviously, as you say, you're transitioning a lot more over to the the product side and the business side of, of things. But how do you feel the dynamic works, though? Because, for example, these days, it's not unknown for companies to have like CPTOs, kind of people in charge of both things, right? But some people will argue that they should be separated because actually technology and product should exist in an equilibrium, not be specifically managed you know like a, a product team 
reporting into the engineering leadership or whatever. Is that something that you agree with? Or do you think that it's okay as long as that distinction is understood? Yeah, so uh, it, it actually depends. It largely depends on the organization and also the, the individuals involved. So take, for example, well, I was in my last role, I was director of product and technology. There was a CTO whom we usually have sync on a regular basis on what is happening on the technology side. And I also gave recommendations from time to time. So it, it, it gave me the opportunity to oversee things on the technical perspective and also from a product standpoint, because I understood what needed to be built. And I also had experience in terms of building such products or even bigger products or bigger solutions. So it, it was easier for me to give recommendations and say, okay, let's go this route, let's go this route. And also let's, let's think of the product in terms of the user or use case this way. But as I said, it depends on the organization. If it's an organization where you have an immense, huge engineering team or engineering structure, and if the company is actually engineering focused in terms of what they're trying to build or largely trying to like make frontiers in terms of their engineering approach, they might want to have someone oversee engineering differently from products because if you have a bunch of products, if you definitely have like large amount of products and you're trying to combine engineering and product together, you might you might actually have someone who is really stressed. Huh. It's not it's not possible. It's possible, but are they going to be very effective? Definitely depends on how the person manages their time and their energy. So to just answer your question, it, it, it depends. It depends on the organization and it also depends on the individuals involved. Yeah, well, like most things, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things we chatted about before this call was about Africans building solutions for Africans. And that's not an uncommon theme that I've heard from speaking to other, specifically Nigerian product managers, but also other people that I've met from the continent. And obviously that's, you know, these days it's a real high growth area as well, certainly in some of the countries in Africa. Do you think that companies across the continent are making good strides in this area already? Or do you think that that's kind of a wave that's building? Yeah, so it's it's something that is still, I would still stay, say it's in the early stage. Yes, companies in Africa are really building products, building solutions that actually speaks to the African problem or problems facing Africa. They're really making lots of strides. As I said earlier, it's still we're still in the early stage. So yes, we're seeing lots of traction, lots of attention. And all of that within the African space regarding Africans building solutions for Africa. But it, what it is, it's definitely what it is at the moment because Africans actually know what the pain points are. We know how things could be. We understand the problem. And giving the right environment or giving the opportunity to be able to solve our problems will definitely solve our problems. So, yeah, it, it's the beginning of many wonderful things to come. But you also said previous to this call that an African solution has to be 10 times better than, say, a European or a US sort of established maybe Silicon Valley solution to get any traction. Yeah. And also those companies themselves that are making those European and US and Silicon Valley versions are also being told to 10x against the incumbents in their markets as well. So we're now saying that African solutions have to be about 100 times better than the traditional established solutions. That sounds like quite a hard 
number to reach. Is that a fair assessment of the efforts that people have to go through to actually make a breakthrough? Yeah, so I think that that in itself, it's looking at it right now, it's it's a kind of like a problem we have in terms of accepting products built here. Typically, a foreign product in the in the Nigerian market would initially get would get a number of attention, but after a while, it will lose that attention if it's not localized, if it's not solving the actual problem, the root cause of the problem, or the main problem, or thereabout. If it requires lots of customization and the customization can be done locally, it would definitely lose the attention or interest of the users. But in terms of an African solution built by Africans, the thing with trust, like uh, should I say really trust or any acceptance, it's usually a gradual process. Once the product solves one problem and over the time it's been improved on, by the time it's generally available, to be honest, that product is already way better than a foreign product trying to compete in the local market because one of the things missing with foreign products trying to compete with a local product is the localization and also understanding what the pain point is on ground. So I, I could give you a, I could give you a typical example. One of the products we have in terms of in Africa that we're always proud of is the likes of Flutter Wave and Paystack, which allows you to be able to make payments or even receive payments as a business online as quickly as possible. Allows you to integrate payments uh, functionality into your website in in five minutes or even less. That product is so super cool and nice. Paystack, it's just a plug-in and use and you're good to go, right? But if you were to, I don't want to mention names, but if you were to try to use another co- another product to try to make payments, um, they kind of have like a padlock sign or there about in your logo and all <laughs> to actually use. You you you'll be request you'll be required to provide some documentations, and it's not even locally available in terms of like they don't they don't allow us to receive payments in Africa. They only allow you to make payments in Africa. So if you as a business, if you're going to try to integrate with that product, you would need to use a foreign address to be able to receive payment. Um, though they, are, they, they, they allow all cards, they accept all cards from Nigeria and all of that. But however, to receive the money, you have to use another foreign address. So if, you, uh, if you're trying to compare that product with um, likes of Paystack or the likes, it, it, it can't actually match up. It, it can't actually scale. I, I don't know why they haven't decided to allow people to receive payments in Nigeria, but they've been, they've been around for years and all, but a number of businesses use them. But people have moved heavily to Paystack, um, the likes of Paystack for payments. So aside from governments banning bits and pieces of technology and making your lives harder, what are some of the other aspects of building and developing products in Africa for Africans that make it maybe more challenging than it could be? Yeah, so I think I want to like flip that question a bit into some of the challenges being, should I say, that is really overlooked or not really anticipated when building products for for Africa. Because I feel people usually underestimate things or overestimate, usually just underestimate things in terms of challenges or bottlenecks you, you might need to overcome. 
to be able to have a ground in, in Africa or bidding products for the African market, most especially the Nigerian market. So take, for example, uh, it, 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 I, I'm just going to use relatable examples, right? Like building products for the average Nigerian market or the Nigerian market as a whole, right? It, it takes a, a lot of understanding and also experience in terms of on-field experience and seeing things from how they truly are, aside from the numbers. It's quite important to also state that most times when companies are building products for the Nigerian markets, they tend to overlook that. Yes, we have a huge population of over 200 million as a whole, but however, that entire 200 million might not be your market. Even if you're building a consumer product, consumer goods product, which is something I've had experience in working with one of the biggest groups in Africa, it's not really a case of everybody is your market. Everybody is not your target audience. So take, for example, if you're building a product that relates to lifestyle and wellness, not every Nigerian will be able to afford it. I cannot tell you based on um, statistics and based on things that we've seen, you might, your, your entire market might not be more than 20 million or 25 million on a very good day. That's if you're doing like a lifestyle awareness or vacation or kind of thing, product or there. But so these things are usually overlooked. People usually feel, yeah, the Nigerian market is estimated, uh, the Nigerian population is expected to eat 300 million in a couple of years. And these are the projections and these are things. And then when they get into the market, they really get disappointed or there about it. It's just based on things that are happening on ground. The way you, you might view a problem is different from the way we see a problem. Products that really want to attend, or should I say, cater or solve problems on a bigger scale need to realize or know that they are competing with food and drinks typically when you are building your product. So if your product is not creating wealth, if your product is not helping them to spend their money wisely, if your product is not making lives easier for them or making a process that you usually take two or three days, if your product is not making it a one-day thing or a couple of hours thing, your product is indirectly or directly competing with food, that is food, which is what people eat or things, money they're going to spend. And I think one of the other things with building product for the Nigerian market or African market is we really appreciate a product that does multiple things, that has multifaceted functionalities. So take, for example, if you, um, if you look at the, the smartphone market, for example, I think the big, the big guys really overlooked the, uh, the African market or the Nigerian market at its early days. A company just came into the market way back then and came with phones that could allow you to use two SIM cards. The likes of Samsung or Nokia already had that phone elsewhere, but they never expected or they never anticipated that it was going to be um, welcomed here in the Nigerian markets and thereabout. But that singular um, product kind of phone from that company really made them extremely big. The likes of Techno, the likes of Infinix coming into the market with phones that allows you to use two SIM cards, three SIM cards, then later went to four SIM cards or thereabout really was was an icebreaker for everybody because almost everybody who had a smartphone or who had a Nokia or a BlackBerry or thereabouts also went for a phone that allowed them to use two SIM cards because Africans or Nigerians like staying connected, they like talking, they like being connected with their family and friends. 
we party a lot, we 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 hang out <laughs> a lot with people and all of that. So if the product or uh, the, the way you're thinking of expanding your market or making your product be aware or there about if it's not tapping into the lifestyle or the existing foreplay things on ground for the market or for the country, you, you might actually find it difficult to sell your product over here. You also spoke before this around some of the mistakes that venture capitalists are making in Africa at the moment. So what are some of those mistakes and what can venture capitalists do better over there to support the booming tech economy? Yes, I think a number of venture capitals are just focused on just fintech and the likes. But but the truth is there are other industries or other business uh, kinds of businesses that are really making waves or have been making waves for years and centuries within the African market or within the Nigerian space. I used to work for a subsidiary of a group called Tolerum Group. They've been in Africa for years. Um, they've been in Nigeria for years. And they could tell you that from their numbers and the likes, you could see that they've actually been doing well. They've been doing well for, for years now. A few companies are there about, I think a company actually bought into one of their distribution company. So Tolerum is a group and they have lots of other businesses or lots of other ventures. So one of their businesses, which is their distribution company called Multipro, if I'm not mistaken, a foreign company bought some stake into in the business, I think they spend maybe $300 million or thereabouts to just get a, a piece of the pie for like 25% or thereabout. And that's just for the Nigerian side of things that this one of the businesses, which is just a distribution ham of the group's business. So to show you how big that is, just to sell just 25% for over $300 million or thereabout. And they've actually been doing well. But one key takeaway is that these people have been focused on long term and they really cut a niche for themselves. Like they're sitting comfortably in the FMCG space and they have a huge network and all of that. That is one industry that is really overlooked. There are lots of biz there are lots of startups or a few startups that I know in that space that are actually doing great stuff that can actually scale because the products that they are bringing to the market solves a huge problem in various spaces and the likes. There are even those that are even just as small as spices and the likes, which is something that Nigerians really enjoy a lot because we eat a lot and all of that. And the space of spices, the space of rebranding locally made spices and having them distributed across the country. So take, for example, Southwest, where I'm from, we have some spices that are really appreciated by anybody in the south that comes from the southwest. So and we are distributed across the country. So wherever they are, if they can see that spice, they don't mind paying for it for any amount of thereabouts. So you have some few companies, Left Right and Center, trying to do that as well. So you have FMCG space, you have construction space, like a few companies in the construction trying to make headways and thereabouts in that space. They're, they're, most specifically those who are building building houses or building accommodation that, that meets the demand that is currently in the market. So there are people who build and there are people who are building to the demand that is in the market. You have youths or young people starting out their lives with their families. 
they don't really have the money to pay for a for, for a five bedroom or for a six bedroom or thereabout, but they can afford a one bedroom or a self contained or a two bedroom or thereabout. Their their company is building into these spaces. But what I would just want to say is for venture capitalists is that I think now is a good time. Now is a better time to get into the Nigerian markets and also the African markets and look into playing long term. Yeah, you might want to do maybe try to evaluate and see, can you do three years? Can you do five years? Can you see, do it 10 years? Do you see yourself doing 15 years or the likes? But one thing I want to tell, I, I actually want to say is for VCs who are ready to take the risk, who can actually jump into the market now, there's obviously going to be a reward for them because based on a few companies, if you do your research very well, or I can share that with anybody who is interested, the companies who have actually gone the long time route and they are really, really enjoying the fruit right now. They are really integrated into the culture, into the community and all of that. And it's it's really, they're really enjoying the fruit of their labor, as they say uh, at the moment. So yeah, so I think right now is the right time for VCs to come into the Nigerian market more heavily and not just look at the fintech space, but also look at other spaces aside from software. Yeah, software has a very um, large base application or there about like across the courts, various industries. But yes, there's a lot to do within the space. So basically, they should come along, bring all their money, show a bit of imagination and diversify their portfolio. Yeah, very true. That's diversification of their portfolio goes a long way. But you're also a course author for Pluralsight. Yeah. Which is obviously a bit different to what you've just been talking about, but shares some of the general goals of educating people and making them more effective at some of the things that we have been talking about. How did you get into that in the first place? What spurred you to do that? And and also, what courses have you contributed to? Okay, yeah. So I've been a community builder since way back I was in high school. I've been running the .NET community across various cities that I've been in for, I think, 10 years now. And it's been a very interesting journey. I think um, what really sparked that was my interest in technology. I studied something way different from technology from my high school days. I actually studied something called quantity surveying, which is also known as cost engineering or... Yeah, cost engineering or cost experts, depending on the country you're in. It's more about knowing, uh, giving value for money and ensuring quality and anything relating to costs um, when it comes to construction, be it industrial or residential or civil engineering or thereabout. But I've always been interested in technology, always been a lover of tech. I taught myself how to code. I taught myself how to build websites. I started writing software based on Stuffs I learned online, did a bit of um, cybersecurity, did a bit of hacking. While I was in school, I I think I had access to the VC's internet, (laughs) (laughs) to the VC's internet uh, login credentials. So I was never ever out of internet while in school, from the the VC's to the DVCA's and all of that. So I had, I, I found a way of like just getting the access and all like just based on trials and errors. I think there were a couple of times we ran down the routers in various buildings in the school because of the internet boundaries we were pulling. I think uh, a number of crazy stuffs, right? Uh, it really stared me into that direction that, okay, if I can learn these things, if I can actually sit, take my time to learn these stuffs 
I think I would also want to teach people. So most times when I'm learning things, if I can't explain it to myself and actually break it down, I don't see myself saying that I've learned something. So so whenever I'm learning, I'm having it at the back of my mind that I have to explain this thing to someone as dead simple as possible. So that was quite easy to transfer when I started the the developers .NET developer community while I was in school, Federal University of Technology, Akure Futa, shout out. <laughs> so I, I, I had a bunch of um, people come for the meetups. We usually do our meetups every Sunday. I will never forget, I was in 200 level or thereabout when I started. And I had people in their finals, people doing masters. Um, there were times we had people doing their PhD program come for a meetup that is organized by someone who is in 200 level in another department, which is not related to computer science or computer engineering. I, I got so lucky. I, I wrote research papers with two professors. I was on a team that did a cybersecurity project that was funded by one of the biggest banks in Nigeria and a bunch of things, right? It, it, it was just moving from one step to another in terms of level of excitement, level of interest, wanting to teach, wanting to offer assistance to people and all of that. All through that period, I was doing it for free. And then by the time um, I got back, I was done with school, got back to Lagos. I started the Lagos.net user group which is on meetup.com. We have over a thousand active members. Funny enough, we actually we just started a mentorship program, which we are looking at taking all across Africa and all. So it's, it's just been moving from one direction to another. Then I think I, I, there was a time I was, I was quite interested in being a pro-outside author. Uh, while I was in school, it was like the, the best of the best. It was like the World Cup of of um, technology professional professionals. <laughs> By the time I got in, I think I got in, was it two years ago or three years ago? And when I checked, I, th- I was the youngest browser author. Um, I started as, as a consultant. Um, I was helping with assessment questions, a bunch of the Azure assessment questions that is still used to date. I, I want to believe are the ones I, I, I worked on doing peer review for some courses and thereabouts. So I think last year, I I tried putting on my course and all of that. I recorded a bit of it, but I couldn't really meet up with some timelines and all of that. I had some technical problems. So I think this year, I, I would also give it a shot. But aside from pre site, um, I work with, I consult with another company called Elevate, do training and consulting, basically training. I, I just do training. Um, during my free times, weekends, and the likes, um, just do trainings, and we've changed. They basically target uh, their target audience, so their customers are the big banks, the telecom companies that span all across Africa that are pan-African or thereabouts. Within Africa, Middle East, and um, yeah, Africa and Middle East are, are the customers that I've done training for, taking them on Azure, taking them on best practices, software development, and things of that nature. So it's been moving from one level of excitement and interest and passion to another. So yeah, so it's it's been an interesting journey. Uh, Sounds good, but it's great that you've got that passion. Yeah. But on that note, I mean, as an educator and a mentor, what's one piece of advice that you would give someone today trying to get into, say, product management, maybe coming out of university or trying to take that first step in? What would you give them as advice to help them get started? 
the simple advice I, I would always give people is just to get started. Get started. Don't wait. The best time to uh, to actually start was yesterday, and the <laughs> other best time is to actually start is now. Don't 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 be scared to fail, but always learn at any point in time. Always always learn. There are times when I sit with entrepreneurs or founders these days, and we're kind of like I have a chit chat and the likes and after they've done all their demos or explained everything and I'll just be like, okay, this can work, this can work, either business-wise or tech-wise. It's simply because these are things I've either tried before or things I have actually seen fail before and all of that. So it, it, it I think part of the things that makes up experience is um, failures, right? Yeah. So if you're starting out, if you're starting out and you are extremely wanting to be extremely careful not to fail or not to see things happen. You might not be able to move as fast or learn as fast as possible. So just point yourself to whatever you're doing. Get started as quickly as possible. And don't wait till tomorrow. The internet is actually free and open. You can learn anything online. We can even learn to be an astronaut or even learn how to fly a spaceship or thereabouts, even these days online. So you can learn anything. And have the mindset that nothing is difficult. It's a crazy deal I've had. People usually say that how oh, I've had been able to like move so fast in terms of my career and I'm still below 30 or thereabouts. It's just simple. I, I, I commit myself to things and just pour myself completely into it. So it, it's, it's been a very interesting ride. So anybody looking to get into tech, get into product management, get started now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Get started now. Excellent advice. And uh, where can people catch up with you after this if they like what they've heard or maybe if they're a VC that wants to come and pour some of their money into Nigeria? So my email address is always open. Abisoye at Outlook.com. A-B-I-S-O-Y-E at Outlook.com. My full name is Abisoye Falabi. So uh, you can always look me up on LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is Falabs, F-A-L-A-B-S. If you're interested in product management or tech or basically Azure, Microsoft Cloud service offering, just follow my account on Twitter and you will always get stuff. At least one post a day comes from my account. Actually, in reality, is a minimum of 10 posts per hour. So yes, that's it. You can always reach me via that. Excellent. I'll make sure that's linked into the show notes and hopefully you'll get some interested followers. Yeah, thank you very much. No problem. Well, that's been a fantastic chat and obviously really interesting to hear about your experience and how you're taking life by the neck and trying to get the most out of it. Hopefully we can stay in touch, but as for now, thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. As ever, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, there's plenty where that came from, so pop over to the website, onenightinproduct.com, sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on your podcast app of choice, make sure you share it with all your friends and you and they can never miss another episode again i'll be back soon with another inspiring guest but as for now thanks and good night <laughs>